Welcome again, everyone. Glad that you're here. Pray that God has already um, spoken to you through the worship uh, of our team as they've led us into the presence of God. Again, in our context of understanding, we believe that really everything of meaning that happens, happens in relationship with God because of our faith in Jesus and the power of the Spirit who indwells us, and in relationship with one another. There's that dynamic that takes place within the body of Christ. So I pray already God has spoken to your heart and to your life, and now as we look at God's Word together, that He'll uncover even more of the truth of His Word today. We are, as Scott said at the beginning of the service, and you've seen by this lead-in video, we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. And I know, for those of you who've been here already, the five or six weeks that we've done this, you, you, there are certain things I'm repeating, but they bear repeating. Uh, I'm doing it for a reason, because for some people, creeds become authoritative in and of themselves. It's as if there is power in a, a, a creedal statement for some, and that is not what we believe. We believe that the power that is contained in the Apostles' Creed, for instance, is derived from the power of the Word of God. Much like the sun and the moon. The moon has no light of its own. It reflects the light of the sun, the creed. It is reflecting a truth, a light, but it's not a light in and of itself, so to speak. Uh, such is the case with the Apostles' Creed, which was one of the earliest statements of faith of the church. You probably said at baptism as early as 100 AD um, or closely thereafter. And in it, we see a lot of the statements about what are foundational for us. So the ABCDs that I've kind of given you that we're laying this grid over the Apostles' Creed as we look at the various statements are, it assists us in spiritual formations. These are some of the critical elements that anyone who comes into faith needs to know about. It brings balance in our lives because many of us, we're in danger of falling out of balance. Any one of us can, can latch onto a certain truth of the gospel, and all these truths are good truths, and focus solely on that. And as a result, if we're not careful, get out of balance in our life. It creates the desire for community. It helps us understand people have been saying these words together for 2,000 years really now, and all over the globe people are saying these statements of faith. So it, it helps us understand we're a part of something bigger, and it helps direct our steps. If we indeed believe these statements, belief, as I've tried to state over the many years we've had fullness, belief results in a change of behavior, a change of activity. Knowledge may or may not change the way you act. Knowledge is a head thing. Belief is a total heart thing, head and heart. And you act upon what you believe to be true. Therefore, it helps us direct our, our, our steps. And over the weeks past, we've already kind of wound our way through, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then we're in this longest section of the creed that speaks of Jesus. If, if you think about it, the creed covers God the Father and it's going to mention the Holy Spirit, but the bulk of it is spent on who is Jesus, um, his son, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Today, we want to look at what does it mean to 
uh, for that the truth that Jesus was uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And again, over these past weeks, we've been looking at this thing on uh, these truths on Jesus. I've been showing you some silly videos that have been made, were made by a church in North Carolina. God bless North Carolina today. Pray for our flooded friends uh, up there. Pray for their safety. But this was made by a church about 10 years ago about the misconceptions we have about what it means. It's a satirical look at some of the misconceptions we have, Sunday school conceptions we have about Jesus. And uh, here's one for today. Oh, oh, goodness, I'm still on the creed. That was supposed to be uh, an earlier. Here we go. Hello. Welcome to the first Christian church meeting. Here are the rules. Rule number one, spend all of your free time in church. Rule number two, you're not allowed to have any fun unless you're laughing at how dumb the devil is. Rule number three, wear t-shirts with my face on it. Rule number four, Always smile and act happy. And finally, wear a stylish beard like mine. I knew it! Jesus! Ah! No one told me about this meeting! And nice try, sister. You said I could be a Christian if I gave up all my fun and grew this beard. Look at my beard! Well, I heard that you missed the prayer meeting for a silly game. But I had tickets to the Super Bowl, Jesus! Oh, it was incredible! The Israelites drove down, kicked the field goal, and the ref said it's good! Be quiet. No, well... Football! No. I love football! Yeah, I can't believe my dad showed up. How embarrassing. <laughs> oh crap, my fake beard fell off. They're totally gonna kick me out. Er, uh, wait. Is what's he saying? We're all going to play football or something? Yeah, football, yeah. All right, stop, stop crying, rise. You can be a Christian if you promise to burn all of your footballs and never miss church again. Promise? Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> Your conceptions of Christ. Uh, robbing our fun. You know, the, there are certain things that are funnier the more times you watch them. Uh, this actually grows on you after a while. Um, <clears throat> it's a sad statement, but my children can quote almost all the lines of these videos. Uh, they can do the whole dialogue for you. Um, <clears throat> I, I still, I got to say this. One of my f favorite ones is in this one where it says you're not allowed to have fun unless you're making fun of how dumb the devil is. Uh, that is so true. We think it's true. All right, where was I? Back in the 1980s and 90s, I think it was in the 90s, actually, and I've played this song at church before. There was a song by Joan Osborne uh, that uh, was nominated and won some uh, Grammy Awards, nominated for seven Grammy Awards. And it's a spiritual song of questioning, and it asks this question, if God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face? If you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? And then the chorus goes on, God is great, God is good. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. There's this 
enamorment really about what if God was a human? And over my lifetime, we've seen a number of uh, popular both songs, movies. For those of you who are old enough, you remember the Oh God movies with George Burns playing God. Um, you've got uh, Evan Almighty, Bruce Almighty. You've got um, coming up a new series that is said, God Friended Me, where a guy gets friended by God on Facebook. And then uh, evidently the, the, prim- the guy is an atheist, but God friends him. He accepts his friend's request because, you know, it's Facebook and you want more friends anyway. The next thing he knows, he's getting friend suggestions from God that he goes and meets and intervenes in their own. There's this enamorment about what if the almighty God was some way interacting with humanity. And in this statement today, this is the truth of the gospel. I believe that maybe the greatest words in all of the Bible are these. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the great truth, by the way, that sets Christianity apart from every other religion on the face of the earth. We didn't just get a representative of God. We didn't just get a prophet of God. The gospel says this, God came to earth. Now, let me just say that at some point in this sermon... As in many statements of faith, um, if you try to get your mind around all of it, you'll, you'll pop a circuit. Uh, because there are certain elements of what's called the incarnation, God, fully God, fully man, where we talk about Jesus that we, we receive in faith because it's, it's not understandable from a human intellectual standpoint. But the union of Jesus as fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and fully man, born of the Virgin Mary, is critical to our understanding of the gospel. And in the weeks ahead, uh, Gabriel and Scott are going to unfold some of this for you to understand that if Jesus was just a man, even a really good man, then he couldn't die on the cross for our sins. It was incapable. It it just couldn't happen. And if he was fully God, but not really a man, then he had an unfair advantage over us as as, as far as his ability not to sin, his communication with God. But because he was fully man, and fully God, we'll see in the weeks ahead that, that we have a high priest. We have someone interceding for us at the right hand of God the Father. We have one who is just like us. Maybe not a slob like one of us, but in the context, he was fully man and fully God. These truths that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us have impacted various people over time. Um, there's a, there was a scholar who was called Junius the Younger uh, because his dad, it's like Junius Jr. His dad was also named Junius, so he was Junius the Younger, but I guess Junius Jr. didn't sound all that good, so they went with the Younger. Anyway, he was a theologian, and he said this, 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. I read part of the chapter and was so affected that I instantly became struck with the divinity of the argument and the majesty and authority of the composition as infinitely surpassing the highest flights of human eloquence. My mind was in amazement. My, my body shuddered, and I was so agitated the whole day that I scarcely knew who I was. Nor did the agitation cease, but continued till it was at last soothed by a humble faith in him who was made flesh and dwelt among us. I, I, I think what Junius is trying to say back in the 1500s, 1600s is this. If we really meditate on these words, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, it will both stir us and direct us and lead us into faith. And so I want to look at this today. And I also want to say, I understand for those of you who are part of fullness, we, we talked about this a bunch this summer when we did the Big Little Letters series. We talked about the incarnation because it keeps coming up in the letters of Paul over and over again. And so I'm trying to, but how many, I mean, really, shouldn't we look at the Incarnation, like every other week, probably. Uh, this truth is so critical that God became a man. So here, here are the truths I want us to see, and I'm leading to the third point, which is, I think, critical for what difference does it make. But the first point is this. The Word is God. The Word is God. This is the theological component, really, of this statement. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John begins his gospel different than all the rest of the gospels. All the rest of the gospels, well, the exception of Mark, he just kind of jumps in. He, it's, a, it's a gospel of action, but uh, Luke and Matthew start with genealogies. And their genealogies have to do with Jesus came from either Joseph's line or Mary's line, uh, there's a descendant aspect of it. There's a human aspect to it, which is critical. But John starts in a, a different way. He starts with a statement that's so familiar in the beginning. Harking back to the book of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This first verse of John 1, verses 1 and 2, by the way, have caused a lot of problems in church history. Um, we, we have challenges within the, the church in receiving the divinity of Christ. Throughout history, uh, some have even changed, such as Jehovah's Witness, for instance. They translate this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They, they change it because they don't, many can't see the truth that, that Jesus was fully God. And John, in his gospel, this is the goal of his gospel, is for us to see the divinity of Christ, the 
the truth that he's God. Some have tried to say either he was God or he was with God. John isn't trying to make that distinction. John is trying to make this statement, Jesus, as a part of the Godhead, has been always. He was there at the beginning. He was there, and he is God. Now, I know I keep making this statement. For those of you who've been in church, this is something, but this is critical to our faith to try and understand and comprehend the, the divinity of Christ. By the way, even his own followers didn't really get on board on this until after the crucifixion and the resurrection. As a matter of fact, can you, can you if you think about it, the person, this is, I, I find it interesting, the person who really first makes this statement about Jesus being God is Thomas. When he at first says, I'm not going to believe it until I touch his hands and hands inside, and then after the crucifixion and resurrection, he touches Jesus' side, and he, or at least Jesus invites him to. And what is Thomas? He says, my Lord and my God. And he's just not like saying, my God, kind of like we say in some sort of passing. He was declaring Jesus is God. If this is true, that he is risen from the dead and he has conquered death, he is God. So the word is God. And the word became human. The word became human. John 1.14, I'm, I'm looking at John 1 here just a little bit. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh. So the word was with God, the word was God. And then down in 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Back in the days when they used to have um, um, telegraph, this guy went from, a parishioner went from his church over to a neighboring town, and he was supposed to buy a banner for the church at Christmas. And he forgot what the dimensions of the banner were supposed to be. So he sent a telegraph, telegram back to his pastor to say, hey, what, what were the dimensions? What was the sign supposed to say? I've forgotten. While he was waiting for the pastor, uh, the shift changed at the telegraph office, and a woman came in, and the message she received back from the pastor was this. Unto us a child is born, eight feet long, three feet wide. <laughs> I know that's stupid, but that's a big baby. Eight feet long, you get it. Jesus came as a baby. He came to make God the Father known. Gabriel pointed this out weeks ago when he preached on God the Father Almighty. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Who, who is John talking about? He's talking about Jesus here. He's saying no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus, the Word, became flesh, is making known God the, the Father because he is God, but he's God in human flesh. 
put these together, verses 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. By the way, the word dwelling here is the word for setting up a tent. And when I first learned this, I, I always think of tents as temporary. I'm not a big camper person. Um, I like my bed at home and my pillow. Uh, I, I, camping's fine and really short kind of uh, thing. Uh, I, I'm going out this week to go hiking with Adam out in the Grand Tetons, but every night I'm going back to a room with a bed. That's my goal. Is uh... Anyway, I used to think of the word tent as kind of a temporary. I know some of you love camping, and God bless you, have great fun. Um, but I used to think of a tent as temporary, but really in the New Testament, this idea of a tent goes back to the time of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was the presence of God. Before the temple, there was the tabernacle, and it did move around with the people. But the idea was, this is the presence of God where God dwells, and he's dwelling in the middle of his people. The word became flesh and made his dwelling. He, he came to be with us. In Revelation chapter 21, it says this, Behold the dwelling same word again, tent, of God is with men. He will dwell, pitch his tent with them, and they shall be his people. I think what the tent kind of represents, uh, is speaking of, is that God, is, God wants to be among us. He wants to be familiar with us. You know, if, if, it's one thing if God had come and said, I'm going to come and build a palace in the middle of my people which would be appropriate for God if you think about it. I mean, he's God. But something about, about a palace and a moat and a wall, that's unapproachable. A tent, on the other hand, speaks of familiarity. You know, if you, if you were to come and pitch a tent in my backyard, the odds are high you're going you're gonna to use my kitchen, my bathroom, come inside my house. There's going to be a familiarity that's going to happen, even though you may have your own tent in the backyard. And that's the case with God. He, he wants, he, he came as a man because he wanted to be in the middle of us. Isaiah 7 speaks of this prophetically hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulder. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The word is God. The word became a man. Booker T. Washington was born a slave and later becomes uh, an educator, as we know here in Alabama. But in his autobiography, Up From Slavery, he writes this story about his brother. He said, and I'm just going to read it to you, it's a little lengthy, but I think it'll 
speak to this point. The most trying ordeal that I was forced to endure as a slave boy was the wearing of a flax shirt. In the portion of Virginia where I lived, it was common to use flax as part of the clothing for the slaves. That part of the flax from which our clothing was made was largely the refuse, which of course was the cheapest and roughest part. I can scarcely imagine any torture except perhaps the pulling of a tooth that is equal to that caused by putting on a new flax shirt for the first time. It is almost equal to the feeling that one would experience if he had a dozen or more chestnut burrs or a hundred small pinpoints in contact with his flesh. But I had no choice. I had to wear the flax shirt or none. My brother John, who is several years older than I am, performed one of the most generous acts that I have ever heard of one slave relative doing for another. On several occasions, when I was being forced to wear a new flax shirt, he generously agreed to put it on in my stead and wear it for several days till it was broken in. Jesus came as who he was, God, in the form of human flesh in order to take on our suffering, the penalty, the payment of our sin. He put on human flesh in order that we could have spiritual life. And that leads me to the third point, which is this, that the word, this is not just some theological discussion about God becoming man. There is a purpose here, and God did it in order to bring us back into relationship with himself. The word brings us into family. A little over seven years ago, uh, my mom passed away. As you know, just recently, my father passed away. To be honest, I have been called into numerous situations as a pastor, as my role as pastor, that where family members or loved ones or people close to someone had passed away. I had done a ton of funerals. Um, I say a ton. I, fortunately, fullness, I've done many more weddings than funerals. Uh, just because of the nature and life of our church. But I've done a number of funerals over the years. But I have to be honest with you. Up until my mom passed away, I had never had someone within the context of my close immediate family die. I was very young when my grandparents passed away. And I, I, so I'd lived, I, you know, if you think about it, I've li if that's your measure of life, I've had a good life. So... It was one thing to go into funeral situations and to situations where someone lost a loved one prior to the death of my mom versus after the death of my mom. There's a whole different point in which I could relate to what was going on with the person in an emotional, spiritual sense of loss because I too now had experienced that same loss. Many times when we think of God, 
even as Father and Creator and Almighty, we think of Him as distant. It's just the sovereignty of God, the majesty of God, the glory of God. But when God became flesh and made His dwelling among us, we, we have to, at some point, understand that God can now relate because He went through it all Himself. We don't have one Jesus, who, by the way, is still in his humanity. He ascended bodily into heaven where he will come in bodily form. Again, your mind kind of clips at some point a little bit, I understand. But we, we have one who relates. Why? Because there's this family relationship let me lead us there. He was in the world. Speaking of Jesus, of course, back in John 1. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what's critical for us. In John 3.16... John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I need to be, what do I need to do to be saved? And, and Jesus talks to him about being born again. Again, this whole context of being born. Born not humanly, physically, but born spiritually. You see, when Jesus came as God in, in, in human form, in human flesh, he came in order that we might be reborn spiritually and to become part of the family of God. Do you know you don't have really, we're big on rights in the United States, um, all the rights that we have. But if you think about it, really from a spiritual standpoint, you don't have a lot of rights. I mean, God is God. God can, he's sovereign, he can do but one of the rights we have is we have the right to become a child of God if we receive the truth about who Jesus is. A couple of passages, and then I'll close this down. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is what? Is a slave to sin. You can talk back to me. I want to make sure you're still hanging in there a little bit. The slave does not continue in the house forever. The son continues forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. These words of Jesus, he's saying, look, not everybody's a child of God. You, you, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. You're not a member of the house. But if you come to Jesus, fully God, fully man, and receive him, now you have a right to become a child of God. 
And you are no longer a slave to sin, but you are a member of the house of God. Paul says it like this in Romans. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. I don't like the last statement very much, but we'll go with that whole suffering thing, okay? If we suffer with him. He's saying this whole idea is we receive everything that Christ has for us, which in Deed is life, but it will also be suffering for his name. I don't know if I'm doing a very good job of trying to tie this together. Here's what I'm trying to say. The incarnation of Jesus, God becoming human flesh, enables human flesh to become spiritual children. In other words, it's not simply a theological, oh, God became a man. Okay. No, no. What that means is that my faith, when placed in Jesus, allows me to be reborn, not physically, but spiritually. God, who always existed, was born physically so that I, who was born physically in sin, could be born, reborn spiritually. And as a result, I become a child of God. Now, here's, here's where I want to lead us to, just to kind of close for us to think about. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. I'm actually coming back to the, the Apostles' Creed. In Luke, where this is announced to Mary and given to her, she asked the natural question, how can this be? She's basically saying, how am I going to get pregnant? I've never been physically with a man. I may not, I'm just, you know, a young girl in a small town and maybe, but I know enough about this to know how am I going to get pregnant since I'm a virgin. The angel gives her an answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Her question is answered by the angel to say, God is going to come upon you and make this happen. The angel goes on and says, even Elizabeth is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. All of this, by the way, is prophetic fulfillment. All that's taking place here. But here's the part I want you to see. The angel says to her, for nothing, nothing is impossible with God. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Here's the dynamic very quickly that I want you to see. Mary says, I don't know what's going on. How is this going to happen? The angel says, nothing is impossible with God. And, and literally translated, this phrase says this, no word from God is without power. No word from, how did God create? He said, 
God said, let there be light, and there was light. Why does John make a big deal that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us? Now, I understand there are different Greek words for word, logos, rhema. There are different words for a word, but the concept here is really the same. The Word who spoke the Word, and it was, became flesh. And how did Mary get pregnant? No word from God was without power. The Holy Spirit comes upon her. There is a, to me, there is a, an element of the word engaged here. And she responds in faith, may it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. And really what she's saying is this, let I, I, I received the word. And I believe when Mary said, I received the word, the word became flesh and made his dwelling in her. There's an immediacy. I, I believe the Holy Spirit comes upon her and she conceives when she receives in faith. Why, why am I saying this? Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? Because I believe when we receive the truth about who Jesus is, no word from God is without power. May it be to me according to your word. We receive in faith the word of God. And when we do, then we become a part of the family of faith. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Confess him with your mouth. You will be saved. Here is the question that I think is critical for every one of us. Am I a child of God? Have I received the word made flesh? And if I have received, a second critical question, if I have received Jesus as the one who leads my life and forgives my sins, am I walking in his power and his might? Am I on a daily basis receiving the word and walking in the power of the word by faith. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Lord, I pray this morning that your truth, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. Lord, I pray that you would go beyond my inadequacies in conveying the critical nature of this truth. Lord, for those of us who have been part of the church for so long that we won't take this lightly, but we'll receive the truth that we are part of God's family because of what you've done in our lives. Lord, for those who have never received Jesus as the one who leads their life and forgives their sins, that they will receive in faith, just as Mary received in faith, we will receive in faith. And birth will happen within us, a new birth. We'll be born again. Lord, I pray that this incredible truth will be life for us today. Lord, we thank you, we praise you.
We glory in you. Spirit of God, I pray that you take this truth and just open our minds, reveal it to us today. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.